Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. This is Al Ewing, uh, writer of Immortal Hulk, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the upcoming Empire. And you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of talking about our topics and introducing our very special co-host and guest for this evening, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on social media. Let's do that. Go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at The Marvelists. Give us a like-ski, a follow-ski, a jet-ski, a like-ski, a heart-ski, a nanny-ski, all of that. Something... What was that, Eddie? Uh, nothing, actually. is coming to mind this time. But you can also listen to this show on a wide variety of audio platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, among many others for iOS and Android devices, like I said. And you can also listen to this show on your computer, on your computer. You're going to be listening to it on a computer. You're going to be listening to it anywhere. But the most important one we feel is iTunes and go on iTunes, the iTunes app, the podcast app on your iPhone. If you got one and be sure to rate review, subscribe, share it on the interwebs. Let people know you're listening to this show. And of course, when you're on iTunes, remember five star, the show. Yeah. We like the five stars. And again, Eddie loves when I do this. No, I don't, (laughs) but much like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, much like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, you stop that. Five or four stars and below just does not work. It never does. You know, we just go there and we're like, hey, can I, can I have a McFlurry? And they're like, no, I just don't want to use the machine. That's that. Anyway, I'm the king of the introduction, right? King? Oh, not, probably not. Not but even the jester. How dare you, sir? Mm-hmm. So we are joined with a very special guest. He is a three-time appearance on this here program. He is the man behind so many great books right now at Marvel and one of my favorite writers, one of the guys who is responsible for my pull list getting larger and larger every month, and I have no problem with that because it's stuff that I love. We are joined with writer of Immortal Hulk and the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy, Al Ewing. Al, welcome. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm tired from that intro, and I think that wraps it up for today. You're no. tired. Ah... Uh, Eddie? As long as you're sitting down, Al, then we'll be okay, I suppose. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us from across the big pond and, and from your home. Uh, no problem. No problem. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the time difference is there, but um, but again, but again, thank uh, it's, you. It's a, little, it's a little after midnight. So, wow, okay. <laughs> so are we gonna be, we're going to be doing blue uh, material today? Or? <laughs> well, technically. Uh, well, it's, it's after the water shed, so, so and, yeah, why not? And technically, you're the Hulk writer, so it's got to be a little bit of green material. Whoa. Yeah. Even I'm not proud of that one. No, it kind of works, actually. Uh, does it? Does it? It kind of does. It kind of uh, does, especially with the post that was done on Instagram today. I suppose. Which had a Hulk in there, too. And it did, and Spider-Man said, the Hulk is dead. Hulk is I dead. didn't even know he was sick. But. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, Al, first off, let's start it from the beginning. How did you get your start as a comic book fan in general? Uh, well, it was sort of, um, 
just part of the culture of Britain at the time. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, comics were a lot more prevalent in newsagents. Um, you had things like, I think Americans will probably know like the Beano best in terms of the kind of thing I'm talking about, which is these uh, anthology anthology comics of like single page humor strips with like a variety of kind of recurring characters and you know if you were a kid in britain you were expected to to get one of those one of those you know read the beano or read uh, i read a thing called buster which was a bit less um a bit more anarchic a little more fun um but you know you started off on these humor comics then you sort of graduated to like adventure comics uh, which are things like Eagle or uh, or Scream, which was a horror comic, or a 2000 AD, which was the big science fiction comic. And at the time, that was getting a lot of plaudits from like uh, more respectable corners, um, because it was like it was a really really good comic, and and still is today. It's where where all other comics have pretty much fallen by the wayside, apart from the Beano. Uh, Buster, uh, sorry, not Buster, uh, 2008 kind of continues to uh, survive and thrive. And in fact, I just wrote something for the uh, free comic book day edition Ooh, that's nice. coming out uh, this coming free comic book day. Um, Erica Henderson joins me on art. It's it's the first time we've worked together. It's a six page Judge Dredd story. And yeah, it's like a special little one off to kind of. Um, yeah, basically uh, celebrate Free Comic Book Day and kind of um, uh, also launch or help launch the uh, the new best of 2000 AD uh, anthology comic. They'll be reprinting some of the some of the great stories from uh, 2000 AD's bygone days. Um, so yeah, that was that was how I got started as a reader. And I kind of kept reading 2000 AD on and off. And then obviously, you know, I was in the newsagent every, uh, every week. And we get these American imports uh, just come in. And like, uh, you get issues of, what was it? You get Walt Summons and Thor. You get Roger Stern on Spider-Man. Um, the John Byrne Hulk. The, uh, segwaying into like Al Milgram Hulk. Um, and I mentioned something before we were on recording because this is slowly we start getting into American comics as they become easier to get hold of. And my uh, my big brother had a source on how to get hold of them. Uh, like you know, he was he was able to find his way to an actual an actual shop where you could uh, either that or the news agent could get him in. But uh, we were able to get Watchmen in the house. And I would have been nine at the time, um, and that was that was an eye opener. That was like, I mean, at the time it was just like, yeah, this is what American comics are like. Evidently, they're all really good. Absolutely. Well, um, for the most part, sure. <laughs> but like, because I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just Watchmen. It was like that was a really good period for comics in general. I mean, that run of Thor was amazing. That run of um, it was the the kind of Peter David Tom McFarlane. Hulk oh, yeah. stuff. I, I managed to, I managed to grab uh, a fair amount of. It wasn't, it wasn't possible to keep up. Uh, it wasn't possible in those days in the UK if you were outside London to be like a Wednesday warrior. I mean, probably kids in other big cities. I did not grow up in a big city. I grew up in like a tiny village. 
um, I was very much reliant on what the um, the news agent could get hold of. But, you know, that was just how it was. So I didn't know any better. And I was very happy with just like getting the odd issue of Spider-Man and kind of piecing it, piecing together what must have been happening in the gaps. Wow. And the interesting uh, thing about that, you know, that era of Marvel, especially with the Spider-Man books, they are, it's the whole Stan Lee theory of every issue could be someone's first. And yes, I imagine, yeah, there's like missing pieces that you do have, but then, you know, you're by like page three, you're like, oh, I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah. People were like, you know, there'd, there'd always be some huge ream of exposition about like what had happened in the issue I'd missed. Um and like uh, with the with the Claremont books and with oh the other thing, my big introduction to Marvel before we started getting these kind of um, probably what got me curious enough to like start trying to get these uh, fancy American comics in the first place was um, they reprinted uh, Secret Wars in the uh, uh, in Britain Marvel UK did and. That was obviously all of the Marvel heroes who were like, you know, anybody at the time, um, kind of there in one big place having one big adventure. I think the only, uh, the only important figure who was missing was I think the Invisible Woman uh, was gone for whatever reason, which strikes me as a bit weird now. But, you know, for whatever reason, the rest of the Fantastic Four were there, but she wasn't. Um, I guess so Reed could have an angst. Oh, yeah, she was pregnant at the time. She was pregnant. That was why. Yeah, Um, I remember that around that time. I actually just reread that uh, series. And to be completely honest, like, you know, some fans online will say, oh, eh." I thought it still holds up very well. It's it's a fun story. I, I obviously remember it with huge nostalgia. And the art is, you know absolutely phenomenal you know mike zack is uh you know one of one of the greats and that first issue is just i actually have a copy i think um the last con i was at i saw somebody selling it uh issue one very cheap so i think i picked up a copy um just so i could you know take a look at the uh the art and the weird old adverts um but i mean you know at the same time the time i'm talking about there was like bill sinkovich uh, new mutants and we, we picked that up, like, religiously. And that was like... Um, but, you know, at the time, we knew it was good. But, like, at the same time, we were reading, like, 2000 AD. So we were used to very cool art and very, like, well-told stories. So it was almost like we took it for granted. And then in the 90s, it kind of went away. And, like, yeah, we kind of fell off American comics then. Um, I think we moved to like the super titles because they turned into a soap opera and we, we just needed our fix. Well, it sounds like, uh, Al, uh, in the 90s, yeah, the the, uh, the comic selling was not too good. It was going down down sort of in a spiral direction, mid to late 90s, I believe. I mean, we... I didn't get into... Um, go into the comic shop until I want to say... I sort of remember, like, uh, Grummerson's JLA. I that think been, that was when I... Yeah, that, that was, like, around 95. Mid, 95. That would have been mid-90s. So I'd sort of... I'd sort of started going to, like, comic shops very occasionally. 
um and obviously you know comics were coming into the house because my brother was older than i was was uh i think he was um he had he had better access where he's working he could like get to the comic shop really easily so he was sort of bringing bringing his own collection back into the house and so i got to read like justice league and like uh, the giffen donatello's justice league and like a whole bunch of cool dc stuff and doom patrol morrison's doom patrol which like um but by the time jli came out um i was sort of getting my own comics and that was one that i really went kind of every not every wednesday but like every few months i'd go and i'd pick up like uh all the jlas like um a bunch of kind of the comic shop i went to they sort of kept about four months at a time so it was you know it was easy to like get like new comics it was it was a store in like um in Guildford, so it wasn't like uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a huge store, a very crowded one. I don't think I ever noticed a second person in there any time I went. But they, you know, they had most things. Um, I, yeah, and I only I only became like a Wednesday warrior when I I lived in London for a little while, and when, like uh, I started getting again Morrison getting uh, getting his X Men. When you mentioned, by the way, about Morrison on Doom Patrol, I'm, it just got me thinking. You mentioned also the uh, Justice League by Giffen and Tomatis. I'm yeah. surprised they never did a crossover between those two series. Because could, could you imagine? They did. Wait, they, they wait, did. What? Don't you remember? No. Um, <laughs> now I want to discover that. <laughs> well, Morrison did um, issues of Doom Patrol that had the Justice League in. Uh, the painting that ate Paris, the Justice League turn up. Obviously, he was writing Animal Man as well at the time, so, you know, they're in that a fair bit. Uh, and then, as if to return the favour, uh, Gifton Demetrius had an issue of, I think, breakdowns. And looking looking back on that now, it has the flavour of, like, before we go, we'd better do this. Yeah. So maybe it was something they were meaning to do for a while. I'm wondering, because that, that like, breakdown's run, I'm missing, I think, that issue then, because I don't remember Doom Patrol in there. Oh man! Now no, I track this down. There's a whole issue where they um, they kind of have a Doom Patrol adventure, and it's like an attempt to kind of. It's basically uh, Gifton, Gifton Demetrius kind of trying that on, and sort of having a go at it, and then and then the next issue they're back to the main plot. So I always love. So it's kind of a on. weird. It's a weird interlude, but it like that is your that is your Justice League Doom Patrol crossover. Ah, now I need to check that out. Yeah, because I always love that run of uh, JLA because it's, I've always said, you know, I've said to both of them when I've met them at conventions, their run of that Justice League somehow managed to influence Marvel's Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of how the characters are portrayed, you know, the interactions between them. And you wouldn't have had that unless, you know, you had that yeah. version of the Justice League around. Because they managed to take characters that are stoic and serious and make them into... You can make jokes. I mean, I feel like I feel like there's some sort of uh, in between stages, but you're definitely you're definitely right in terms of like the banter, the kind of it was it was the first time I remember getting, I think it was the the moving day issue, which was the first real. I think that was issue eight. That was like the first. Um, it was the first like very full on comedic 
a series of it was almost like a Seinfeld episode of a comic. It was like this kind of um, just a series of sitcom situations. Yeah, and it had blue and, and just, gold on the cover with uh, like yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, divorced entirely from context. Again, in the news agents. I uh, walked in there for something else, saw that, thought, that looks interesting. It was like 40p. You know, I had 40p on me. I picked it up. Um it was amazing and I was like you know as a kid I was like laughed for laughed for hours read it and reread it and reread it um and yeah and then you know okay we have to start getting Justice League and uh, that that kind of went on the list of like right these are the this is on the list of comics we get um when we can find them and it's it's like if I'd got the issue before I don't know if it would have made an it if it would have made as much of an impact if I got like issue nine, I don't know. Uh, it's weird how, you know, you find these kind of, these issues that like work perfectly outside their context and are just the perfect introductory issues. Right. Uh, so yeah, and there have been a few of those. So, um, the first issue of 2000 AD I ever got was probably the best issue I could have gotten in terms of introducing the lineup as it was at that time. I was actually trying, so just, before we uh, started recording with you, I was actually trying to find some of 2000 AD on Comixology because I wanted to read some of your stuff from there. And it's kind of a pain because uh, I can't find it on there. I mean, it's, you can find, oh no, yeah, actually, I don't think 2000 AD and Comixology are affiliated. I think 2000 AD sell direct from their own website. That's a bummer. Um, yeah, but it does mean that you get stuff that you can read in PDF form. True. I think. Uh, and they have their own app, so you can download the 2000 AD app, and it's like a sort of comicsology of one. I um, know what I'm downloading. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's fine. It's like uh, they have sales on there. You know, it's pretty much it's pretty much just like comicsology, except it's uh, just them. So, you know, if... Uh, if you like 2000 AD, that's where to find it. Now, in regards to like comics from back then, what were some other titles that helped attract you to the element of writing comics? Oh, man. Um, I guess... Uh, JLA, I mean, Judge Dredd, I, I remember at a, probably in my teen years kind of having a... Um, having a crack at, like, writing a Judge Dredd script. Uh, and, of course, making it, like, um, you know, a giant epic 200-episode story. Um, and that was almost just to practice the, the format because they used to run, like... Um, there was a book... Warren Ellis did a book called Coming Alone, which had sort of examples of how a script is laid out. Uh, and I think there were also uh, examples in 2000 ID annuals of what a Judge Dredd script looked like. Um, and I know that's something that taught a lot of people. Uh, aside from that, I was... Um, me and my brother did a lot of um, stuff where we'd goof around at MS Paint doing these little... Uh, or paintbrush as it was then. Doing these little sort of one... They were like par pastiches of 
the old first pages of old Silver Age comics where like the entire plot would be laid out in like one image and it'd be something like uh, you know Superman stop eating all of those pancakes that's like I can't Jimmy if I stop <laughs> eating pancakes I'll die and then there's a, like a, uh, a oh, little right. caption saying oh how did Superman get into this pickle read on if you want to find out right. and we do these past- we do these pastiches of that and um just like goof around that was kind of just trying to make each other laugh okay you and can't mention like the first you can't uh, mention the, jimmy the, olsen without you know naming your favorite uh bizarre jimmy covers <laughs> oh yeah the, i love those. Jimmy covers. the ones the ones i like the best are the ones that are the most cruel um Me the one too. where where superman is burning the dressing gown jimmy gave him <laughs> And Jimmy is like, no, Superman, you've become my father. <laughs> and like Superman's going, yes, and this gift is displeasing to me. So I'm burning it with my heat vision to teach you a lesson. I will eternally be partial to the uh, Superman as a jungle chieftain marrying Jimmy Olsen to a gorilla. I think that is the... That's, I'm sorry, Jimmy, but as a jungle chieftain, I now pronounce you man and gorilla. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty standard in terms of like... Um, I mean that's lacking that's lacking that psychological element like the one where um, Superman's strapped into a chair and is going Jimmy why are you making me watch this tragic film (laughs) and Jimmy's going I must collect your tears each drop is precious to me (laughs) and it's like you know I mean the sort of the sort of like Jimmy I'm I'm making you marry a gorilla is like you know it's kind of um, it's Tuesday (laughs) It's a bit, it's a bit sort of like, you know, it's the kind of thing, you know, Abbott and Costello, it's the kind of, you know, it's, yeah, roll on the snare drum, Jimmy's in another wacky situation. It's the collecting of the tears, the kind of, the like, Jimmy, you've become my son and now I must punish you. It's like, that's, that's where the real meat is. It's like that, that, um, that cover of Lois Lane, like whipping the giant puppet. I'm also partial to the Jimmy Olsen one where he, uh, is in, I think like, Roman times and he goes oh my god Jimmy's going to become the Ringo star of Rome <laughs> I have to stop this <laughs> like why are yeah, you that's... his friend <laughs> or his pal I mean there was there, there's a lot of Superman covers Superman related covers that are like I have to stop this like um, Perry Como is um, <laughs> Perry Como's in town and he's doing a duet with Lois I must use all my superpowers to prevent this becoming a hit Oh, it's so great. Like like I said, there's just something about those covers. And then, of course, like the brutality of the uh, Lois Lane ones where you're just like, wow, you are a terrible boyfriend. You are absolutely he's straight terrible. Up, he's straight up murdering her on half of them. It's like... He pulls the, uh, the one oxygen where, in space. Yeah, the one in space. My God. Or has her I mean, like, strapped to, be, to a truck. Back... Back in the days where GeoCities was more of a thing, there was a website called the superdickery.com. That was how I got the, I, the things. Yeah. I think if you go to it now, it immediately gives you a virus. But like, yeah. um, it may not It may not anymore. It may not. Virus, the, the particular virus that was on that website might have been defeated. But last time I was there, Norton basically said, no, no further. Don't look at this website. And they lost like but almost they... everything too. I remember when I visited. Oh really? Yeah, like there there oh, was God. stuff, but it was like it wasn't the original site. So it was like, here's a random cover of this. I'm like, oh, but but, but what about the lowest covers? What about the Jimmy covers? It was like, there what? was there was a whole 
period in the noughties where people were kind of like um, almost just you know the internet was just becoming a thing and like one of the things it was doing was like people were like have you seen this Silver Age cover that up until now only only people that are like really into the hobby enough to collect Super, Silver Age comics right. and I mean I used to I used to be one of those people I used to be like one of those people who'd like go to um uh this would have this would have been like in the noughties in around 2000 because it would have been like when i just started pretty around 2002 but i just started going to conventions basically because i just sold the scripts and i wanted to meet other professionals i'd never gone to a comics convention before then uh so i'd never come across like these um back issue bins um except maybe a couple of times in london there'd be like um i got to london and there'd be like a 10p bin and I'd, I'd leave through it, but it would always be the same process. I'd be like flipping through the 10p bins. And I wouldn't be looking for like, oh, maybe I can find a bargain. Maybe I can find, you know, a, a rare copy of like Spawn, Sealed and Lucid. No, I was looking for like the Jimmy Olsen cover where he's like, um, I mean, for a while it was sort of rock covers where it was like, you know, you pull it out and it'd be like, that anteater has, has swallowed a grenade. And, As was and, the you know, fashion the, at the time. The mascot would be like anteaters don't die. <laughs> it'd be like by it'd be it'd be by like Robert Kaniger and you know you'd open it up and it'd be like it'd be like narrated by the anteater as he used his like long tongue to like flick away a grenade. That one didn't happen, but like not for want of trying. Um, but it was always you know so much of Sergeant Rock was like yeah this one's narrated by a hat and you know this one's about like uh, I must crawl. 200 miles to deliver Sergeant Rock the message to retreat but I'm going to think it's the message to attack so then he attacks and like he defeats the entire army and it's like um, that one was real I remember that with uh, with some fondness actually it's, it's a really good story but like um, so yeah I was looking you know all these old these ancient bizarre anything with a weird cover or anything that looked crazy and then the internet came along and suddenly it was like oh you believe you believe in your random searches in your in your ramshackle delvings <laughs> that you've seen some weird covers here are some weird covers and you've got all these sites like look super dickery and sean baby and like um you know whoever else there was a lilex i believe at one point was doing you know just bizarre uh mr mr Mr. Kitty, I think, is still up. I haven't, I haven't looked at stupid comics in forever, but Mr. Kitty, I believe, is still up. And um, you know, it was just like literally, have you seen this? Look at this for five seconds, and then tell me if there's a god. <laughs> uh, wow! Jeez. <laughs> oh, my my thing is with a lot of those, you know, the weird, trippy books like that. I'm so glad to run into them at different conventions and like see like it's like eddie with the uh with santa claus and the m&ms it is real <laughs> they really do exist um, and there was so much so many of these uh and you know in the 80s i remember like at the time getting a copy of like uh, adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters i own that too it was like and i got the one where one of them dies and i was like really uh one of them gets like shot by a harpoon or something and i was i was just like really uh and they took it they treated it really seriously and i was and i treated it really seriously as well it's like wow i found all i've got oh my this is a treasure i better keep this aside forever it'll only increase in value well sentimental. And it's like well uh i 
It would have if I knew where it was now. But like, <laughs> that hamster I died mean, for nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I'm sure I'll. I'm sure it's. It's exactly the kind of thing that if I were to find it during a clear out, I would immediately like put it in another box to keep for like more years. So it's somewhere. It's somewhere still. I just need to dig it up. But um. There's like, uh, or that might be the one where, God, that might be the issue of Alien Duckworms, though. There was a lot of crap that came out of the, um, not to uh, disparage Alien Duckworms, um, <laughs> but there was a lot of stuff that came out of the Turtle Boom. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was around for it, and then I was around when I was leafing through back issue bins and finding finding it again so i do have a fair amount of this stuff screwed away like old issues of steel sterling um the one where steel sterling tackles drunk driving uh somebody listening to this podcast is gonna tell you all about that one <laughs> my thing is uh, like, there, there's so much great stuff from the 80s comics especially like marvel indie dc everything at that time was just phenomenal stuff like did you ever read uh, what's it called? The uh, Reed Fleming, the World Something Milkman. No, but I I heard of it because the Comics Journal. We had a few Comics Journals floating around, and they I seem to remember they loved it. He that series is available for free on the creator's website. So if you want to read that, he has a oh, thing available as uh, CB uh, CBZ files, and he you know he's like, hey, if you want it, you can have it. And oh, better it's such a great series. It's one of the funniest comics I've ever read. But it's like, again, just that era of comics is so damn that solid. Was, that, was, that was another thing from like, uh, you know, the earliest internet was people just kind of, you know, oh, nobody's ever going to read this again. Let's put it up online. So there's a lot of a lot of comics from like the Deadline era, the the kind of the 90s and the the 80s that were just sort of going up there on people's sites. Um, whereas now, I guess you know they're all going up there illegally on pirate sites, and we hate them. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was a gesture of a gesture of goodwill uh, from the original creator. So. Al, um, I was looking up a little bit of uh, bio info on yourself. If you could just talk a little bit about uh, Garth Ennis picking you for um, the run on Jennifer Blood and the Ninjets. Yeah, that was it. Was very kind of him. He was. Um, I think Dynamite needed somebody to sort of take over uh, for him on uh, Jennifer Blood. Because um, I mean, if you read those first six issues, they're very much a complete story in themselves. So I was sort of uh, hired to to be the doomsday clock to his uh, to his watchman, but like um, it was. But yeah, Al, your was, books are on time. Really, they were I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm um, sorry. They were back then. Yeah, <laughs> they still young. are. <laughs> I could work all night. Um, yeah, it's thanks to thanks to my editors. I think more than me. Um, the yeah, basically, it was it was very kind because um, I think Goth Goth liked my dread stuff, and I think Rob Williams put in a good word for me. And uh, yeah, basically, I got um, and I think I ended up doing I want to say eighteen issues of it, mm. and it sort of went to from 
I think quite a quite a bad impression of Garth, uh, with with very little of um, I, you know I was sort of trying to I think I was consciously for those first few issues trying to do a kind of the comic I thought people might want, um, but then uh, and the the ninjas was kind of a weird a weird experiment and I felt sort of beholden to kind of do something with that so they made their way into the main plot um, but I think in the end uh, there were a, there were a few things uh, there were a few um, bits and pieces of that that I think hold up uh, I mean it's this is now we're talking a good I want to say it's a good eight years old mm-hmm. is that seven or eight years old it's like Eddie, Eddie's looking up the information I, right now. From when that was out, I didn't have an exact year on that, actually. Maybe around 07. I don't know if that sounds about right. Oh. So, 10 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in dog years, that's, that's a while, I guess. Um, sure. I shouldn't be like... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so... It was probably my first... Uh, my first bite of the apple in terms of like long form American size issues and yeah then Jets was an interesting one there are things I wanted to do with that that I um, I couldn't do I think I wanted to do something that was a bit less uh, uh, exploitation-y and a bit more um, like I mean, my original idea for the Ninjats was that they'd all be like really young kids and it would just be like a kind of famous five type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'd be much more of a serious, like, you know, charming, but like serious in terms of intent and the kind of, and like, yeah, I don't know what so into that. So I ended up just going, okay, I'll do, I'll do like a kind of Russ Meyer style nonsense gore fest. And, you know, there are people who like that. Um, and I did get I I did get a nice I I still think the uh the man jets in the last issue has some has some there's some gold in those hills. Uh with the man jets. The man jets might be my favourite joke in the entirety of Jennifer Blood. Um especially the one who faces away at all times so his bum is just constantly pointing at the reader. Um, <laughs> making a statement, bottoms up, whatever. And he's in a he's in a thong. No, it was just like the. Um, uh, it was, nah. But you know, it was. Um, um, I was very, very, very glad to have the opportunity, and I kind of, obviously, work that is in the past like that. You're kind of looking at it, and you're, you know, you're thinking with your your present day mind. Um, well, and it's like, but I know a lot of people really got a lot out of it. And at the time, it was really, it was really helpful. And it was a really great opportunity. So you know, I don't, I don't regret it. Well, speak uh, us to speak good. to us uh, now, Al, about our favorite green skin Goliath and how you got involved with uh, Immortal Hulk and or Marvel in general. Different to uh, take. Well, I think that's the big one under under Mister Ewing's belt, actually. I mean, Marvel, Marvel in general, it was a, they needed somebody to do tie-ins and, um, 
the editor in question, uh, Lauren Sankovic, um, we'd met at a convention, had a chat, and she'd seen some of my 2008 work. Um, so the thing, the thing with Marvel, the thing with getting a job with Marvel is that you've got to have got had like work done before, you know, unless even if it's in a different medium, but it, you've, you you can't, as far as I know, going in cold off the street is just incredibly rare. Yeah. So rare as to be non-existent. Um, but yeah, no, they were like, okay, we need somebody to do a couple of age of Ultron tie-ins. Uh, would you like to go? And so I pitched some and, you know, it went well and people liked them. And then I started getting more work on the back of that. How that translated to doing the Hulk. Um, and that's a story I've told a number of times. And it's basically, uh, I was lucky enough to, I mean, I was in the room where they killed Bruce Banner. Hmm. And more importantly, I was in the room when they were talking about bringing him back. Yeah. Uh, and they were wondering how to do it because obviously Bruce got shit. Bruce gets, he got shot in the head with the arrow. He's like, um, uh, immediately resurrected, then resurrected again for Secret Empire. So this would have been his third resurrection in a row. And the question was, okay, how do we do it so it's bigger and huger and more epic and kind of how do we make it like seem real this time? Right. Um, because, you know, we've, we've had our cake, now we have to eat our cake as well. Uh, and I remember saying in the room, like... Um, and this was, you know, this was like, at the time, it felt like one of my ideas that just didn't land at all. And I was having a lot of those, but it was like, uh, it was what if that's just what he does, you know, what if, um, I mean, I can't, there's a, there's an element of chicken and egg because I cannot remember if like, I'm pretty, I'm not, I'm 80 to 90% certain this is, this was like starting me starting me thinking about like a horror take uh, but it might have been in response to somebody saying maybe we could do it as a horror take but I remember what I said was uh, what if that's just what he does what if he just comes back and like do we need do we need a big reason isn't it scary if he just wakes up and you know we don't know why and I mean, when you say that in a writer's room, it sounds a lot like that's do nothing, uh, which isn't a good like. But uh, I was writing an Avengers book at the time, which was coming to an end to make way for the new Jason Aaron Avengers. And so I was one of the writers on No Surrender. And I threw myself into that. And Jim threw himself in and Mark threw himself in, and we were all just firing all cylinders. But one of the things I said, you know, because we had a little confab of like a little mini writer's room with just us in the other, and it was like, okay, who wants what? And it's like, I, and I kind of put my, put my hand forward as like, I would really like to write the Hulk for this crossover because I, I want to push this, this idea that he just wakes up. I think that that'll be really cool. And I sort of laid out how I'd do it with like the kind of the last pages and people were sort of tentatively into that. And then there was a bit of a, it could have gone either way because I didn't know while I was plotting this, the return of the Hulk, that I would then be taking the Hulk book. It was still up in the air to the extent that I kind of pitched um, 
the thing with Bruce losing his super intelligence that means he can make like the force fields and the teleporters and everything that make his life much easier. Um, basically, uh, I pitched that as something we'd reveal during uh, No Surrender that he's he's lost his super intelligence, so he's he's angry. And I remember Tom was like, uh, "What if the person writing the Hulk book doesn't want to do that?" And you know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, if you need someone to write the Hulk book. Um, but yeah, we ended up we ended up you know saving that piece and leaving it, doing it in such a way that whoever did come in uh, would be able to pivot off us in a in whatever way they chose. Uh, and then I was in kind of the, I guess, the competition among the writers to, to write the Hulk. And, you know, my pitch ended up going all the way and ended up being the guy. And then I did that 10-page thing with Joe that ended up in... Um, uh, it ended up in uh, No Surrender Part 10 as a kind of backup thing. Uh, so, yeah, it all, it, all kind of, it all kind of worked out. But... Um, yeah, I think that's probably uh, in terms of. I think after No Surrender, everybody was sort of thinking in terms of the Hulk as a horror book and the Hulk as a kind of like doing something with a bit of a with a bit of. Uh, so I think everybody who was pitching for it was was thinking in that direction, and it, so I was, I was quite lucky to to get that book in in a lot of ways and yeah and here we are you know two plus years later and I, I, you know, as far as what you have that awaits all the fans the readers has got to be at least a couple issues further than what we've read which is currently at issue 29 um, yeah. and, I, and I think of you know Frankenstein from, from the very beginning and now this actually kind of I was going to say brings it full circle because it's horror and it's definitely not what I remember growing up with in that way he chopped the Hulk up <laughs> Oh my God! Every, yeah. All in the, yeah, all the, in the jars, jars and jars oh issue. wow! That when, was I think that might have been in the in the pitch. I was definitely thinking of it in terms of like, okay, what can we do with this? And yeah, the jars I think went into the went into the pitch. I had um, yeah, there's there's a uh, we were going to have a kind of villain who I think ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, but like, uh, um, and I think in the end, uh, that was going to be the Jaws issue. Would be like chopping up him up into Jaws, and that would probably be. I think that would have been issue four and five in the original, the original pitch. I think the original pitch we were going to get to like um, pretty much the situation he's in now, but we'd have got there a lot sooner and a lot more um, with a lot less of the tonal. Uh, it would have been a much more standard Hulk story, I think. I think it was playing it a little bit safe. And I think the response I got from Tom to the first pitch was like, I like everything you're saying about the tone. Um, can you go back and like get the get the plot to bear that out? Or the, the plot of like the ongoing thing, which is where I, I kind of... And that was, that was where some of the hell stuff and the biblical stuff started creeping into it. Um, and basically, I think issue one was still, that was very much, uh, I think what, 
what shaped that a lot is it being 30 pages. But I, I think we had a, in the original picture, there was kind of a 20 page version of that, which was much more, um, much more condensed, much less sort of leisurely in its pacing. Um, I think the 30 page version is definitely the better version because, uh, the, uh, that, that issue in particular, you know, other, other issues can be very fast paced and very kind of this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And then you're at another horrible cliffhanger and what's going to happen next. That's fine. That issue needed to be slow paced. Right. So we needed the extra pages. So, you know, and the, the double, the double, double spread thing. Oh yeah, that's a different, uh, slightly different layout the sequence that I've seen in some of the issues throughout. And another technique that I noticed throughout most, if not all, of that run is, and other titles I think have done it as well. But you save the the title for the last page. Yeah, I I started doing that on. Um, I think that's something I sort of lifted off uh, Grant Morrison a little bit. Um, I think Garth Ennis has done it a couple of times too. Um, but I think I did it with uh, The Ultimates because I wanted to see how it looked. And it became a way of kind of commenting on like the end beat and also the issue as a whole. And with The Hulk, it's like... Uh, often I have to kind of pick titles carefully because it's like readers won't see them until they've they've got through the whole issue mm-hmm. um so sometimes they are kind of like it's the same that they're kind of commenting about the um quite often they function as like a, a comment on the end splash the final image that is our cliffhanger and also refer to the the whole the whole issue um and then you've got the quotes at the front which like serve the opposite function in that they kind of set the mood leading in but also you know if you go back and reread you see how they're applicable and those are a real pain because they've got to be in the public domain oh yeah yeah Um, but that's consistent throughout now i think there's one issue i noticed and i think it might have been and i want to go there anyway was issue 25 where it's backwards yeah Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was fun. Um, yeah, I, I did. I had the quote. I've been saving that the Bible quote that we have um, after. Now, in the in the collected version of the trade, they um, they run that title as if it's a normal a normal title. Uh, but actually, I kind of planned out the the things so you you get the opening, the opening bit, the kind of. Uh, the first five pages, then you turn the page and it's this big, brutal, you know, title splash on black. And then you turn the page and you get the quote for that issue, which is just uh, the the Bible quote that I've been sitting on with this issue in mind for like, um, oh, probably about 15 issues. <coughs> but then, because it was mostly Herman uh, Garcia, but then we needed the last two pages to be Joe. Uh, we needed another quote page to kind of um, to make sure that the last two pages were a page turn. Hmm. So you'd go from like the setup to the reveal 
and to make that happen because Joe only had two pages um, because we'd had that earlier quote we needed a um, uh, did this earlier quote that came in the middle of the, the issue so added an extra page so suddenly double spreads are like starting on an odd number page mm. um, we need to shove another quote in and I was, you know, I was looking through, I was thinking, okay, maybe this one's like William Blake or maybe it's Shakespeare. And then I thought, no, let's have a quote from the future. Let's have something Bruce Banner says down the line. And let's do it backwards. So you have to read it in a mirror. Um, and it'll freak people out. And there were responses that were like, I remember, I think it was, I think it was Graham and Millen who like tweeted something like, um, yeah, there's there's a text there's a text bit in this that really freaked me out. And I was like, yeah, brilliant, it's working. <laughs> but yeah, that that quote, the quote from Briggs Banner, um, that is that's important. That's like a harbinger. Um, and we're not there yet, and we're not going to get there for a while. But like, yeah, I know in what circumstance he says that. And so. I honestly don't know that you mentioned it with Bruce and a harbinger. His whole thing about the destruction of the human world, I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. And and again, that 25th issue, I thought I needed a science class to, to like bone up on, on that I to mean, try to get a grip on that. I don't think I don't think there's anything in there to like um I mean, it rewards it rewards slow reading. It's not it's not something that's made to be flipped through. Um, it's not something that's made to be read quickly. Uh, but I do have faith that, um, and you know, there are there are certain certain websites who like lists who confound this faith every issue by like completely misreading it. But like um, the, uh, I have faith that like. That um, that issue, you know, there aren't any human beings in there. It's all aliens. But at the same time, there are human emotions. Um, it's it's phrased differently enough that you can that it's 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 like it's coming from another room. It's like it's coming from like somewhere. It feels foreign to you. But at the same time, in there, there's something you recognise. You know, there's something like. Um, you know the the dead love, the lost love. There's these are things that are um, unifying. They, these are touchstones. So, you know, it's not like um, there were there were people who were like, oh, it could have been more alien. And it's like, yeah, maybe. But if I'm just doing sort of blobs floating around and they're not even speaking English, and they're not like, you know, they don't have these these touchstones of human emotions. These things like you know, love and loss and fear. Um, if we're not touching those every so often just to kind of like keep you on the path then yeah you would just get lost and you'd, there'd be no connection and no kind of you know no reason to read it because there's sort of nothing there to recognize and there were I've read in the there were a lot of there were a lot of books and science fiction stories in the 70s that were attempting stuff like this and I I tried it myself in my work for 2000 AD um, Damnation Station, which was a uh, a serial I did for 2000 AD, which involved 
uh, aliens that spoke in an alien language that I invented, so it was untranslatable. But, you know, you could sort of... The idea was that you'd close read it and you'd build a vocabulary, but also um, the... Uh, also, you'd see what they were doing from the body language and, you know, they demonstrate. And it didn't work. It didn't work super well. I mean, there kind of came a point where I had to sort of do something else, but it was like, you know, it, it was a noble experiment, but it was a bit, it was a little bit wanky in terms of if I had if I had it all to do again, I think I would probably lose the alien language and just have, you know, I'd, I'd just have the aliens learn English on the way over, or like, um, well, you know, do something where people could, you know, see what they were saying um but the thing is that that used to be that used to be a very normal thing these science fictions where you were asked to like um there's an asimov one uh the gods themselves where it's like it's in three parts and the middle part is in a completely alien world full of these um these half intangible creatures with a life cycle um, and I had that in mind when I was writing issue 25. I had like, you know, okay, well, let's, to the extent that like, I'd be, I, I sketched the aliens and kind of, and then I'd look at my sketch and I was like, well, they've got arms. <laughs> that seems very normal. Let's get rid of the arms. Let's just have them, the hands as like floating, you know, things. Um, and, and then, uh, I'm going to go see it. Do you want to go see it? Um, added, added his own kind of spin and his own sort of, okay, what about this? So he, he kind of designed the ship. I just like described the ship in words and he kind of designed it. And it's almost, you look at it and it's like, it, it obviously doesn't work according to principles that we understand because he's, he's presently like strolling, the, the, the alien is practically sort of strolling around on deck, you know? open to the open to space and yet and you know surrounded by this sort of uh, control system that we can't fathom but at the same time you know you've got these you've got these touchstones so you know it is a ship you know it is a control system i guess what i'm saying is it's not it's not that difficult and what similarly with like ending ending the human world once you kind of take that as like not ending the physical world, but ending like the human world of ideas, then it becomes much more uh, okay. It becomes much more about changing the world, which um, I guess we're kind of presenting in apocalyptic language because. You know, uh, it's a horror book, and we're in horrible times. And that might be what it. That might be, you know, like uh, there are one way or another, um, big changes are going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm personally, I personally don't believe that like the population has to be reduced. I think we can feed everybody. Um, and one thing I was trying to get across, and I had a whole conversation with. Samson in the book about this was that like I kind of made it as clear as I possibly could that this was not the direction the Hulk was going in 
And then, of course, you know, websites reported it's like, oh, it's going to kill everybody. And it's like, no. And instead, it's sort of about, you know, what can you actually use the Hulk for? And, or rather, what does what does Banner think he can use the Hulk for? Is he right? Is this going to be, in the end, useful? Is it going to work? You know, at what point does anger stop being fuel and stop being a hindrance um, at what point is um, being asked to give up your anger uh, a really shitty thing to ask of someone you know it's like these are all questions it's a book it's a book full of big questions that you know I hope readers I hope it does I hope it does prompt like because I don't, I don't know the answers. All I have is the questions. Yep. So you know, I hope, uh, I hope, I hope readers are kind of asking, asking these questions of themselves and trying to find, you know, find their own answers. I think you're right because, um, um, you know, you you throw in the questions out there. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. So here are the questions, and maybe you can think about it yourselves, the readers, and uh, something positive comes I, out out of that. I do, I do that a lot. I do a lot of like. Um, I get asked a lot of questions of like, can you explain this? Can you kind of like, what's the intention here? And it's like, I don't really want to say, especially when it comes to like the big cosmic stuff. Cause there's, that's the question I get asked most often these days is like, can you draw a graph of how all of the cosmic beings relate to each other? And that's like at a certain level, I just don't want to, because these cosmic beings, they were never meant to be, a hierarchy they were never meant to be a D&D table they were always meant to like represent uh, concepts and emotions and like um, I'd like to treat them as like a you know the, the kind of choose your character screen on a beat em up it's like just missing the point to such an extent that I you know I can't help you it's well, like I understand you're having a debate online and that's cool you know be that's great. I love I love the whole battleboard concepts. I just don't think there's anything outside the text itself that is helpful to that to that discussion. There's another thing that I, I want to yeah mention too that yeah. I did. Uh, well, Peter kind of clued me into it. It was the I want to say nostalgic component of it, in where uh, references to prior characters and maybe stories yeah. or, or names come in there. Whether it's um, yes. I think Sinat is is re- referenced as a company name. Bus- uh, Busemos. Oh, yeah. oh, it's so great. And there's also and, you know, bringing in the characters, whether it's Abomination or or the Betty yeah. the Betty Ross character that I don't think you actually came out and said you know Harpy, but that was her eye character, I believe. That winged I mean, creature. She's, she's hoppy. She's hoppy in the scripts. Uh, I think we get more mileage out of people just going, what is that? Um, <laughs> rather than like, I think as soon as she gets a name, as soon as that form gets like a, a kind of superhero name, it becomes inherently less scary okay. and less kind of powerful. So I think we're probably going to hold off on like, um, but yeah, it's hoppy. Um, but I think we're going to sort of... I mean, you know, she's Betty to people who know her and people who don't. It's like, oh my God, ah. <laughs> um, which is cool. You know, it's like, uh, you know, there are there are people who'd like to to be greeted like that. Um, but it's like, uh, 
it, it comes in two forms. What you're talking about in terms of the, the names of the old creators, um, that's usually Joe. Uh, very occasionally I'll sort of drop one in because I know he enjoys it. But I know, I know like he, he loves to kind of, um, I think the, the diner um, brings an Amadeus a name or have their meeting in. Uh, my thinking was that, yeah, let's call it Everett's Diner and it can be like a, like it's a sort of Atlantean like outpost kind of front business mm. um, and like but we'll we'll connect it to no more and yeah, it'll be a little hint for people but I mean this was after Joe had already you know dropped in he loves dropping in the names of um, special effects pioneers uh, horror related people um, obviously old old Hulk writers and artists especially artists and for my part, I like to sort of drop in little, um, kind of little Easter eggs, more to sort of uh, things, little phrases like uh, never stop making them pay has kind of cropped up a couple of times. And that's a reference to like uh, the Greg Pack Planet Hulk. And that's basically, I'll drop those in to give like long-time readers just a little sort of tingle in the backs of their necks, a little sort yeah. of friction of like recognition yep. and kind of, and it's, it's an easy way of sort of building up that kind of, um, building up a sort of, uh, I'm trying to find the words for it now, but like, uh, that feeling like somebody sort of walked over your grave, that kind of like, uh, an intuition that like something's building. It's sort of an easy way to go to get that feeling without kind of coming out and saying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, does that and also the very first issues, the first I think six or so, five or definitely the first five issues, we had like um, all new supporting cast. It was Jackie and it was Walter who hadn't really been a supporting character for for Bruce before. Um, he turned up once or twice, but like not, he wasn't like a regular, he wasn't locked up. Um, and then the idea was we'd sort of, it was, it was going to be a very new reader friendly, but to the extent that, uh, we didn't have editorial captions because, and we still don't, because I was worried that, and this is something, I mean, we're kind of into it now, so. I don't think we're going to stop bringing them in, but like I've sort of mailed on this, but at the time I was like, okay, what could possibly drive new readers away? And like having a recap page in issue one, that's like a big red flag saying you need to have read something else first. Mm-hmm. And again, I've mailed a little on that one, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how, how things goes. Maybe we'll go back to that, that thinking that, you know, we leave the recap page off. And similarly with editorial captions, it's like, you need to have read this first. I kind of, I, I try and gear. I try and make sure if I don't have any editorial captions or recap pages, I'm. I kind of have to. Uh, a, I'm sort of trusting the reader a little bit to know what has happened in the previous issue. Um, but B, I have to kind of try and, uh, when introducing an old character. I can't just point people at Marvel Unlimited. I've got to like explain who they are for new readers. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's a very it's a good and a useful thing to do. You know, it's like you can't. I mean, issue one was all about 
you know, this is what the Hulk is. Um, issue two was like, this is who Bruce Banner is. Issue three is like, this is what they are to the outside world. Those were all in their way issue once. And then from there, anytime we kind of introduce somebody new, I try and make sure that they have their a little introductory issue. Like Betty had one and then Samson had had one and I think Rick Rick got an issue to kind of fix for the reader who he was to the Hulk. And then Joe Joe got his issue and so on. I kind of I feel like the only uh, supporting characters at at the time now with what I've with what I've written now um, I think it's everybody except the Savage Hulk has had sort of their their time in the spotlight uh, so just I just wrote a thing that concentrates a bit more on McGowan yeah uh, so we get to find out a bit more about her and uh, obviously you know Jackie's had a couple of um, sequences where we've sort of you know gone into um, the formative experience of like the Hulk destroying her neighborhood and essentially killing her dad um, you know indirectly he didn't mean to but like you know when your entire neighborhood is knocked down that's going to cause health problems and stress problems yeah. mm-hmm. and you know uh, Jackie's dad died of a I believe it was a heart a heart condition so you know uh, that will not have been helped by the Hulk destroying the home. Right, right. Um, and that—that's something we're gonna we're gonna come back to. I've sort of got a, and I, I believe we've already asked the vital question. You know, has he actually apologised? And it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think he has yet. Um, he's sort of nodded. You know, he said, "Oh yeah, you got a point." But it's like he's not said sorry for destroying a house and ruining your life at a young age, you know, he's not done that. And so, and now, you know, well, there's issues, the issues that are now coming out. Um, yeah. Jackie's having another terrible day. <laughs> that is indirectly the fault of the Hulk. And it's like, at some point, they're going to have to have another conversation. A Hulk to heart. I don't, I don't know how that's going to go yet. <laughs> Um, I kind of, I, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I'm sort of, I cannot say because it's a spoiler. Oh, you can totally say it. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I'm kind of, um, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of explaining what's happening in a book like right now at this very moment, you know, the issue that has just left your hands. If I go further than that, you know, then then it's spoiler, and it's kind of like um, there are some twists. There are some twists coming up, which I don't think anyone anyone has seen coming. Nobody will see coming. It's like uh, I will say we're doing a lot more Savage Hulk fans. Um, I believe I said I made some sort of public statement in the past that I didn't like Hulk speak. Uh, I've come around to it. Really? <laughs> because writing writing the Savage Hulk, writing the big guy, is a joy. Uh, and, I mean, at first it was like, 
you know, I kind of brought him out to like show how much of a child he was and just have him, you know, break down and, and cry. And I thought that was that was important because it was like, you know, I, I wanted to establish that he was he was a big kid. You know, he's not he's not stupid. He's a child. And it's like. Um, but the, the what really made me think I've got to write more Savage Hulk. I've got to have more. Savage, I've got to make him like as equal a part of the system as Joe is because I love writing Joe as well but you know I love uh, your writing of Joe Joe is so slimy and it's just so perfect it, it's that whole you know Vegas baby kind of feel to it I love it he's he's really I love writing Joe because he's really you know he's out in the day he's like the sunlight is affecting him he's really trying to be nice but he's a complete asshole and it's like so he's sort of he's nice but he's got this patina of like yeah Vegas baby and it's like um, you know he's just kind of like uh, he's a piece of shit but he's like a sort of lovable piece of shit with a heart of and gold it's like, he's got a heart of gold yeah exactly and it's like I I do love Joe uh, but I also love the Savage Hulk and uh, the, the bit that turned me around on him was that Venom annual. I call it an annual. It's like the time, the Venom time special. Um, I call it an annual because you don't need to have read it. Um, but if you do, it's a nice bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want people to read the annuals and the specials. Uh, I don't need them to read the annuals and the specials. I think, I think that's an important distinction because it's like... I feel like you can you can say to people like, okay, you need to buy every issue of this, and some of them are going to be extra size, but you're you're, you're going to get much more for your money in those issues. So you know, I feel like that's a, that's a worthwhile ask. If you're starting to say stuff like, there's a Venom crossover coming out, and you've got to read it, or you won't understand anything. I think that's that's not good. What what the you know, there's a Venom crossover coming out. You'll love it when you get to it. I hope you get to it, you know, on the day it comes out. I hope you buy it. If you come across it in a, you know, in a lighter trade or in the library or like, uh, or, you know, in the back issue bin, that's fine too. You know, please don't pirate it, but like, uh, that's fine. That's fine too. If you buy it in the back issue bin or read it in the library or like anywhere you want to get to it, um, that you can afford, you know, it's all right. Uh, I don't but the the thing with the because I have this attitude to like the specials I always make them these big character issues so like they're not plot issues they don't they don't give you new plot but like they're packed with character beats so it's like it really is an extra treat it's a special treat if you know if you can if you can afford it if you can buy it into it it's like there's there's a whole load of stuff if you and that was where I had um Savage Hulk have this argument with Banner and just like go off at him and just calling Banner stupid over and over and that was I thought that was wonderful I loved that that was so much fun to write just like to have to have Savage Hulk like go off on Banner in a way that um, you know the devil the devil Hulk for all that he's you know scary and like uh, as a big lizard you know he won't he won't go off on Banner the same way he'll sort of um, he'll go off. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll be very snide and 
cruel at other people, but he won't he won't go off on like uh, even when he's yelling at Banner, it's in a very kind of like no, I only want what's best for you. Um, whereas Savage Hulk can just like Banner's an idiot, <laughs> and you can really and there's something really wonderful about. Um, yeah, so you know, I'm loving writing any any time I have a Savage Hulk moment. Any time I I get to have him make up a name for somebody. Um, I love doing that. Which I guess, okay, spoilers. There's more Savage Hulk in upcoming issues. Um, and yeah, so I'm I'm now on board with the Savage Hulk, but as part of as part of the larger system. I think if it was just the Savage Hulk. I probably get kind of tired of him. Although I say that, but I feel like there's room. You know, I don't know. I don't know who's coming after me. I don't know like what they do. I think they're. We've been a long time without prolonged exposure to the Savage Hulk. And as a new convert to Hulk speak, um, I am I am seeing the possibilities in like an all Savage Hulk run. Uh, Immortal Savage Hulk. I I don't know. I mean, I have an ending in mind for Immortal Hulk, and once once we get there, um, that is the end. And you know, I won't I won't say how far in the future that is, but I've I've got it planned out. I remember uh, not too long ago there was uh, an article online. If I think you remember this, where they said, "Oh, Immortal Hulk is ending at issue number something," and then twenty-five. Yeah, yeah that was, was that was a rumor that somebody started. I think probably I don't know someone with too much free time on their hands. Yeah, with too much free time on their hands. Or there was there was a point I think very early on, like certainly before issue six had come out, certainly before. It had, it had landed with the force that it ended up landing um, where we were thinking like well we'll see how the sales do and maybe we can relaunch it at 25 and like that was like a standard conversation that you have because the alternative is like um, there'll never be an end point to this and then you're taken by surprise one day and it's like you just end up shuffling away mid-story or with half your story not told um it's I, I feel like it's it's very it's tempting fate to especially when you've had uh, the career I've had and I've had a few books public uh, cancelled it's tempting fate to say you know we'll still be this healthy at issue 25 so I mean somebody might have like gone oh yeah they had this conversation and it's like, but seriously, when those articles were coming out, that was long. That thinking was long in the past. That was like, I think from about issue eight, when people started reacting to the jars, we were like going, this could go past 25. Are we going to, yeah, let's do the thing where we, where we go far into the future. And then that can be like, yeah, then we go past that and we do this stuff afterwards. And it's like, we're starting to make these much longer term plans. Um, also became really clear that like uh, it it just wouldn't be a good look for the book. It just wouldn't work for this book. That whole kind of um, seasonal approach. No, nah, people didn't want it. 
so we weren't going to do it. And I got really annoyed with people, um, no matter how many times I'd say, no, it's we're carrying on. When the solicits for issue 26 came out, they were still doing it. It was like, I had people ask me, you know, with copies of 26 in their hand, like, you know, I heard it was ending at issue 25. I was like, no, that was a lie, clearly. Now, Al, I have number 29 sitting in my hands, but is this book getting canceled at 25? (laughs) Yes. Um, We're going back in time. We're coming around to your house and we're stealing the last four issues (laughs) and and pulping them. It's a recall. No, I know know which issue the last issue is. And when we get close to it, I will say, you know... I mean, I'll sort of, I'll sort of talk to Will and Sarah about like, at what point do I drop that it's like we're on the last mile? Because like, I don't, I don't want to leave it to the solicit. I don't want like the solicit for issue Renard to come out and it's like, uh, oh, and by the way, this is the last issue, because it's like that's not really giving retailers much time to plan. Um, I think probably. As we get there, we'll start dropping stuff in the list. It's like, you know, the final thing of Immortal Hulk is starting. It's all been, you know, the final thing of Immortal Hulk is starting now. Um, so until you see stuff like that, uh, assuming, you know, this is how we decide to play it, but I think it probably is. Um, but when you start seeing stuff like that, then you'll know it really is time. And, and not before. John Sherber, an editor for The Marvelist. You've heard me before. Time for you to hear me again. This is wrapping up part one of our two-part Al Ewing uh, interview. we got another like 60, 70 minutes for you in the next installment. So be sure to tune in to hear more about the Hulk, to hear about some more of the history of what um, Al has put out, as well as what he's been putting out recently. More on the Hulk and skateboarding and comics. Yeah, stay tuned. It's a good second half of the interview, and you're not going to want to miss it. If you want to find The Marvelous online anywhere, just head back to the beginning of the video, and you can find where to follow us, where to listen, and a whole lot more. Thank you for tuning in to The Marvelous Excelsior.